What's up? Hope you guys are having a great day today, and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazzitti program with your host, moi, Matthew Spazzitti. <laughs> Hope you guys are having a great day and a great week. You know, if you guys are coming to the show for the very first time, you know, basically what we talk about here is financial freedom and economics. You know, in reality, I think it's incredibly important that we all become financially free. And one of the ways that I use to motivate this idea of financial freedom is to teach you guys and to share my opinions about what's going on in the world economically speaking. What are the risks that are out there that may threaten your livelihood and your way of living and lifestyle? And ultimately, trying to get you guys to realize that no matter what country you live in, I don't care if it's the United States, I don't care if it's anywhere in Europe, in Asia, it doesn't matter. You should never let that country be the sole place that you have access to. You should have access, and what I mean by access is, you know, a secondary passport, you should have a multiple bank accounts in other countries, diversified in other currencies, and, you know, maybe even property in other countries as well. You need to have access to other countries because no matter what country you are currently in, n- no country stays stable and dominant and, and wealthy and peaceful forever. I mean, if, if there's any one thing that you can take away from looking at history is that over the course of human history, things fluctuate. You can have a, you know, a city, a, a country be very peaceful, prosperous for a very, very long period of time, and sometimes it can last for generations, but eventually it all comes to an end, and things start to get rocky and unstable, and you, and you only have the ability to get out of that if you are wealthy and powerful if you have the money to do so. And ladies and gentlemen, this has always been the case. This has always been the case throughout all of human history, whether it's the Middle Ages or whether it's the time of the Renaissance, this has always been the case. You always have situations where, you know, the world, you know, really powerful countries and prosperous and peaceful countries, you know, they, their peacefulness and prosperity ebbs and flows with the time of history. So, you know, in the end, just keep that in mind, but that's one of the reasons that we're doing this. I feel like in order for you to be truly free, you need to control the source of your income, not only so that you can have access to other countries and that you can get up and leave and get out of Dodge when, when it's time to do so, but also so that in the event that, you know, a economic crisis comes around, like the one that we're that we are experiencing and is about to get worse, you don't necessarily have to worry so much. You can turn around and you can, in effect... You can say that, hey, I have, I, I provide my own income. I control the source of my income, so I don't need to be worried about getting laid off. I don't need to be worried about losing my house. If I want to go on vacation whenever I want, you know, I can, although not many people are considering vacation during this time. And even if there wasn't a virus, you know, in economic times, vacations aren't exactly something that people look into doing. But the fact remains is that you control you. You control your freedom. You control your the outlook of your life. You control what it is that you are, in effect, in charge of. And if you are in charge of your income, if you are in control of your income, then, you know, your life, the world opens up to you. You can go wherever you want. You can do whatever you want. You can control your own living standards. You can control where you live. You can control who you're around. Life becomes very interesting and much better when you control the source of your income. And there's a lot of ways that we can do that. Um, You know, whether that's through Forex trading, whether that's through investing, although you need a lot of money to do it with both Forex trading and investing. Um, But if you can, if you can save up the money, then hey, more power to you. You know, uh, with Forex trading, you probably, you could probably do it with less money than you could with say investing. Investing takes a lot of money in order to live off of. Um, But that said, I mean, you know, uh, when we're talking about investing, we're not just talking about stock investing, which you need a lot of money for both, you know, for both stock investing and real estate investing, which was the other 
one that I was about to mention. You can do all of this stuff, guys. I mean, real estate investing, stock investing, bond investing, investing in businesses, you know, and not just through bonds and or the stock market, but like literally doing like adventure adventure cap venture capitalists and stuff of that nature. You know, there's there's a whole host of ways that you can you can do it. You can invest in yourself, you know, invest in your own skills, become a entrepreneur, you know, start your own business. You know, that's another great way of doing it. That's the way that I prefer personally. But there's a there, there's a whole host of ways that you guys can do this, right? So that said, though, what are we going to talk about today? Well, today I wanted to talk about the economy, and really, more specifically, I wanted to talk about the whether the U.S. dollar is really going to collapse and die. I'm seeing this on Twitter. You know, tons of people are talking about the end of the dollar. The dollar index has fallen 10% and from its highs, its its March highs. And oh my gosh, the dollar is dying. And the the end of the U.S. U.S. Uh, you know reserve currency status is going to go away. And oh my gosh, you know pandemonium. <laughs> All right, look. I, I admit, when I first saw the stuff, I didn't really know 100% what was really going on. I mean, I figured the dollar was weakening largely because of all the money printing and stuff of that nature. You know, when you engage in inflation, and again, inflation is the increase in the monetary supply. I've actually, uh, you know, j- just just for, for, for reference, okay, um, just to, to set the, st- the, the record straight, in the past and in, in other previous episodes, I probably did refer to inflation as a general rise in prices, okay, that's probably something I did do, you know, at the time when I was doing it, I legitimately thought that there was a difference, you could have monetary inflation and price inflation, and that there was a difference between the two, and that was my thought process, and I thought that that was just how it was. And really, there was a, a, a guy on, on Twitter, uh, namely Peter Schiff, who really set the record straight. And he said, no, there's no such thing as price inflation. There's only monetary inflation. And, you know, monetary inflation does exist. Inflation is when you expand or is when you expand something. You cannot expand prices. You can only expand the supply of something, and that would mean the supply of the currency. And therefore, the definition of inflation is the increase in the monetary supply. Now, I knew this, but I didn't know. But and, and I thought that it was important to make a distinction between monetary inflation and price inflation, largely because when people think about inflation, they think about prices. That's largely due to educational practice, you know, that's large, that, that occurs to this day, whether that's in college or schools, uh, middle school, high school, wherever they teach this stuff, you know, I was homeschooled. So to be completely honest with you, I didn't really go through high school and, and, you know, middle school and elementary school like everybody else. Eventually I did go to college and realistically, I don't really remember anybody talking. I only took one economics course. I can't remember whether it's macroeconomics or microeconomics. And I don't honestly remember anybody talking about inflation. I mean, maybe it was mentioned, but I don't really remember it. Most of the time, anytime I heard of inflation, it was with, you know, on social media and stuff of that nature. And when you look at the definition of inflation through most dictionaries, the definition has changed over the course of time. Today, it is defined as a general increase in prices. This is a false definition. This is not true. The dictionaries are wrong. They are lying to you, okay? It has changed. Academics has changed the definition of it. And you know why? Because the governments around the world wanted them to. The main reason is because if you are focused on the symptom, then you don't really know what the cause is. If you don't really know what the cause is, then the government can come out and can blame the cause of, of general increase in prices, the symptom. They can blame that on businesses. They can blame that on greedy rich people. They can blame that on a whole host of other things, and they can totally divert blame from themselves when in reality, all inflation is and has historically and scientifically been is the increase in the monetary supply. That's it. That's it. And the only people who's responsible for that is the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government. Now, why do I say the U.S. government? The Federal Reserve is a private institution. It is not, even though it's called the Federal Reserve, it's not a government institution. And, and really what the Federal Reserve is, is it's a cartel. It's basically a, a union of all the big international banks in America, all the large conglomerate international banks in America. They, you know, investing institution, banking, pseudo banking institutions, you name it. That's what the Federal Reserve is. Okay. A lot of Federal Reserve governors tend to be high-end executives at these financial institutions. 
right? And they do whatever they want. Now, a lot of left-leaning people say that we need to bring them under control with, you know, regulations, make them answerable to the government, because here's why they think that way. There are some people on the right that say the same thing too. They think that the government is them. They think that they have power via the government. They believe that the government is you know, shares its power with them. You know, we vote for them and then they go for do this. And, and the left probably believe this a lot more than people on the right. But the fact remains the government doesn't serve you. I know they say they do. They're liars. They don't serve you. They don't care about you. In fact, the vast majority of policies that they enact actually end up hurting you. Almost in every single situation, Almost most of the policies that they create and possess actually end up hurting you and your livelihood and how you can live your life. This is just fact, ladies and gentlemen. Look at most of the policies, most of the policies that they do, you know, rent control increases rents, makes it hard for you to find an apartment. A lot of times it can make it can make rental properties more expensive because now the landlords require you to pay under the table. And even if it doesn't, then that means that they're not going to sell. The, they're not going to be leasing out their properties more and more and more. Many of pe- many of the uh, of the landlords will go under. Many of the renters will go under. And even if there are a number of of rental properties, what you tend to see is a lack and decline of quality, a lack and decline of keeping up with the bit with the actual buildings and things of that nature. So it's low lower quality, lower rental locations. It's also uh, it usually means that there's a lot less on the market, so it causes scarcity. It, it causes shortages. Not scarcity, but shortages. And then on top of that, it can even make things more expensive for under-the-table type of transactions. That, that's just one example. Many other examples, whether it's, uh, okay, environment, you know, uh, cafe laws, cafe standards, sa- safety safety standards and environmental standards for, for automotives, you know, for car, for automotive manufacturers, car manufacturers. Those all make cars more expensive. When when a country comes out and says that every car that is produced from this point on has to have a backup camera, how much money are backup cameras? Is that going to add to the cost of the car? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to make the cars more expensive. That is a luxury item. Not to mention, who does it really benefit? Well, who produces the backup cameras? Who creates those? Because now they have guaranteed business. Because by law, their business is in demand. When before, it was only luxury cars that had this feature. Now, every single car has to have it. Well, who does this hurt? Well, it disproportionately hurts the poor because the poor, they can't buy these cars. It's too expensive. So now they have to go buy used cars, right? There's no way that they'd be able to buy a, a new car. And even when the new car, you know, over time starts to has wear and tear and starts to go onto the used car market, it's still a lot more, it can still be a lot more expensive. It makes it harder. It makes it more expensive for cars, you know, for people to buy those vehicles. Anyways, that being said, we're kind of getting down a big, big, big rabbit hole here, but I'm trying to talk to you guys about the U.S. dollar, the U.S. dollar, the, the decline in the, in the U.S. dollar index, and basically what I'm seeing over social media, everyone's like, you know, freaking out that this is the end of the dollar, buy gold, you know, that's always the type of stuff that very prominent people you hear on social media, that's what they're saying, buy gold, buy gold, you know, gold's high, going higher, silver's going higher, the dollar is dead, the dollar is dying, you know, upon further research of this situation, you know, I actually found myself at Danielle Lacal. Lacal? Lacal? I don't know how you say his last name. Anyways, he's a PhD economist. He's, um, I, I believe he was born in Madrid, so he's a Spaniard. And he is really a, an Austrian. He, he takes a very Austrian economic outlook when it comes to economics, which is one of the reasons I love reading this guy's stuff. Um, and I actually found him through the Mises Institute which is a really another really great place. If you guys want to educate yourself, you want to find a list of books to read, how to educate yourself further on economics, again, Mises Institute, one of the greatest places you could possibly go. I would say it's probably the greatest place. Second favorite would be feed.org, uh, the Foundation for Economic Education. And then the third place that I love to learn about economics, and particularly more an Austrian economic way of looking at things, is really the American Institute for Economic Research. It's AIER.org. 
And that was actually started by a anarcho-capitalist by the name of Jeffrey Tucker. A uh, pretty cool guy and a very, very, very good website. Absolutely love it. But anyways, uh, Daniel Lacal, and I again, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. I, I, I stumbled upon his post because I'm, I'm subscribed to his stuff via um, you know, his newsletter, via the, his email, via his website, and it came through and it started talking about the U.S. dollar collapse. I'm like, well, that's great because I just saw a lot of this stuff going around and I want to I learn more. So basically what he states is that this speculation is is overly exaggerated. That the U.S. dollar collapse is greatly exaggerated. I'm actually going to be reading from his article. Usually his articles are not very long. If you want to learn a lot about economics, go to his website, sign up. It's D. Lacal. So D. You know, I'll instead of spelling it out, I'll just post the link in the description below. All right, it's a great place to go. It really is, and you really are not going to, uh, you know, be turned down the wrong path. He has an amazing view on economics, and I absolutely love it. So he's this is another place that I go to for really good economic insights and whatnot. But basically, so he says the U.S. dollar index has lost 10% from its March highs, and many press comments have started to speculate about the likely collapse of the U.S. dollar as world reserve currency due to its weakness. These wild speculations need to be debunked. The U.S. dollar year to date, August 2020, has strengthened relative to 96 out of 146 currencies in the Bloomberg universe. In fact, the U.S. Fed trade-weighted broad dollar index has strengthened by 2.3% in the same period according to the data compiled by Bloomberg. The speculation about countries abandoning the U.S. dollar as reserve currency is easily denied. The Bank of International Settlements reports in its June 2020 report that global U.S. dollar denominated debt is at a decade high. In fact, U.S. dollar denominated debt issuances year to date from emerging markets have reached a new record. You know, what that basically just means is that the demand for the dollar is high. People are needing more and more and more. U.S. De- dollar denominated debt, that means that it's, you know, they're, they're buying treasury bonds, treasury bills. You know, this is debt that's basically made up of only U.S. dollars, and it's it's high. There's a ton, a ton of, of demand for our current, our fiat currency, the U.S. dollar. So just keep that, that's basically what that means. China's dollar-denominated debt has risen as well in 2020 since 2015. It has increased 35%, while foreign exchange reserves fell 10%. So even China, even China has increased its dollar-denominated debt. So they're demanding our currency even more. And I'll get, and I will get into this a bit more. He'll touch base on why at the end of the article, and I'll expand a bit on that. The U.S. dollar index shows the DXY, by the way, shows that the United States currency has only really weakened relative to the yen and the euro. And this is based on optimistic expectations of European and Japanese economic recovery. The Federal Reserve's dovish announcements may be seen as a cause of the dollar decline, but the evidence shows that the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan conduct much more aggressive policies in the U.S. while economic recovery stalls. Recent purchasing manager index, PMI, declines have shown that hopes of a rapid recovery in Europe and Japan are widely exaggerated, and the daily activity index published by Bloomberg confirms it. Furthermore, the balance sheet of the ECB, European Central Bank, is at the end of August more than 54% of the Eurozone GDP, and the Bank of Japan's is 120% versus the Federal Reserve 33%. What we have witnessed between March and August has just been a move back from an overbought exposure to the DXY index due to the severity of the crisis, as investors increased positions in safe havens in February and March only to reserve its it as markets and the economy recovered. The lesson most governments should learn is that economies do not become more competitive or deliver stronger growth in exports with a weak currency. This is a huge fallacy of Keynesian economics, or at least of whatever economics they're going off of. You know, they call it neo-Keynesian. Really, they don't even follow Keynesian. You could call it neo-Keynesian because it's really not what Keynes recommended. But many people have long speculated, uh, particularly uh, many people from mainstream, whether uh, you know, government, media, normal economists, that yet yeah, all cater to the mainstream. They, the mainstream narrative, by the way, is that they all believe that a weaker currency promotes economic growth. That's, in effect, what they believe. They believe that as your currency becomes weaker, meaning weaker as in my U.S. dollar goes for less 
euros. So if the euro is between the the dollar and the euro, okay, the, if you were to look at a currency chart, and this is something I do, I'm a for I'm an aspiring forex trader. So if you look at the currency chart, you would see it as the euro dollar. So E U R slash U S D. And what that means is that what you're you're looking at the euro converting into the dollar, okay? So and if the chart is going up, it means that the euro is appreciating in value to the US dollar. The euro is becoming more valuable and the US dollar is falling in value. If you see the this chart go down, again, the euro USD, if you see the chart go down, that means that the US dollar is appreciating against the euro. Okay, so a lot of people, when they think about currency strength, they think about the exchange rate, which is really not an indication of currency strength. There's a lot of economic fundamental analysis that needs to occur in order to really determine the strength of the currency. When the euro is exchanged into the dollar, the euro will fetch you 119, so a dollar and 19 cents. Okay, that means that the euro is about a hundred and not quite a hundred and twenty percent more valuable than that of the dollar because it's a hundred percent if it was a hundred percent and only a hundred percent one euro would exchange for one dollar they, they this would be called trading at parity okay if the euro is exchanging for a dollar and ten cents then that would be a hundred it has a it's it's more valuable by, by like a hundred and ten percent if it's exchanging by $1.19, well, then it's 119%, right? At least that's the way that I look at it. I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. But, um, but anyways, that being said, you know, that's to give you guys an idea of currencies and my background in Forex trading and stuff, or at least I ha I'm an aspiring Forex trader. I'm trying to become a consistently profitable trader. So I'm, I'm currently in the process of learning that. If you guys are interested in checking all that out, hey, head, head over to my YouTube channel. Um, if you scroll all the way down the description, you'll find my YouTube you know, uh, link and that will take you directly to it. Uh, if you don't want to do that, then just go to YouTube and type in Matthew Spaziti and, uh, use my last name that's on this podcast and you will easily find it there. I do a lot of trading videos every single week, you know, and what I do is I basically go into the market and I show you guys how I'm analyzing the market today. And I will, over time, I also give you guys an update of where I am on my journey to becoming a consistently profitable Forex trader. That said though, a lot of people think that that means that the euro, that exchange rate, because the euro is seen seemed as being more valuable, that means that the euro is stronger. Well, not necessarily, you know. And actually, he hasn't he hasn't gotten to it he hasn't gotten to it yet. But in reality, what he is saying, what he will go on to say, is that the reason that there's a lot of confidence in the euro and stuff and, and the reason there's is because there's a lot of investors who have a lot of you know they their sentiment is they think that the euro they're hopeful that the euro is is going to be great and that the euro is going to to do very very well and things of that nature and in reality it, that's just not the case it's just not the reality so even though the euro is exchanges for a much higher exchange rate than that of the US dollar and actually, the euro has been falling. The U.S. dollar has actually been appreciating for a very, very long time. And the euro has actually been falling by a, you know, and is almost approaching parity. I mean, there's only like 19 cents between the two. So what that means, a lot of people think that means that the euro is stronger because it exchanged for a higher, it has a higher exchange rate than the U.S. dollar. This is not true. Okay. Do not believe people when they say this. The pound also exchanges for a higher rate than the U.S. dollar, and yet the U.K. economy is in a very similar boat to that of the United States. You see, what something, what current, when currencies are exchanging, their exchange rate is largely determined, just like stock prices are. It's it's determined by sentiment, investor and traders' sentiment. That's it. It's all subjective. Just because someone thinks a a business in the stock market is doing well and they bid up the price over and over and over again does not necessarily mean that you know that that the company is in fact actually doing well there's lots of companies that get bid up heavily and yet don't that don't make any money or that haven't at all made money i think tesla 
I, I don't, you know, Tesla is probably going to become profitable, but only because they were subsidized for a long time by investors who were, who had subjectively viewed them as being a valuable company when at the time they were not. Okay. They didn't make any money. So just because a currency exchanges for a higher rate for one over the other does not mean that it's a stronger currency. You have to look at the underlying fundamental data to determine that. Certainly, the sentiment says that the euro is stronger than the U.S. dollar. That's what investors and traders are saying, but hey, that isn't always accurate. Investor sentiment is it can be very wrong. You know, I mean, it's like the blind following the blind in, in most cases. So anyways, just wanted to give you that, that, that I, you know, that little education there, you know, just wanted to, to open your eyes to the world of currency trading. And, and this is one of the reasons I love economics is because I'm a forex, I'm an aspiring forex trader. I love forex trading. I love currencies. And in order to, you know, I don't use the fundamental data that I know about economics for trading because again, traders trading and investment sentiment, it has nothing to do with fundamentals. Sometimes they do align, but for the most part, they're pretty much kept separate. They don't behave in the same way. So it's really important for you guys to, to understand that, is that investor or trader sentiment has nothing to do with fundamentals uh, a lot of times, which is one of the reasons why I don't like trading based off fundamentals. I only trade based off of the technical analysis because the technical analysis is in effect what really, really shows you what's actually going on and what the market intends to do next. Now, it's not always 100% accurate, but it does work most a lot of times. So that said, though, I'm going to go ahead and repeat this little section and then read the rest of the article and we will converse. The lesson most governments should learn is that economies do not become more competitive or deliver stronger growth and exports with a weak currency. Emerging markets have shown in the past years how a weak currency does not help, and the eurozone has had a weak euro versus the dollar for years just as its economy delivered disappointing growth. The reason why the U.S. dollar reserve currency status is not at risk is very simple. There are no contenders. There's no one for to turn to. The euro has redenomination risk and the constant political and economic concerns about the union's solvency makes the currency weaken as the historical performance has shown. It tends to strengthen relative to the U.S. dollar when investors place unjustified hopes on the eurozone growth only to weaken afterwards when poor growth adds to an overly aggressive ECB, again, European Central Bank policy with negative rates and massive money supply growth. Okay. What are we saying there? What basically we're saying is exactly what I just told you. And I told you he was going to cover this is that, you know, for years, the euro has actually been in decline against the US, the US dollar. The, the US dollar has been, you know, basically has, ha, they've been having major advances. The US dollar has been appreciating in contrast to the euro for a very, very, very long time now. And that is a trend that is most likely going to continue because I don't believe the euro is going to survive. But there's many, but many people still view the euro as being stronger and better than the US dollar. And it's this sentiment that has kept the euro that that has kept the euro higher than the U.S. dollar for a long, for many 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 years. Now, as I stated, it's coming down. But the reason it was up there was because you know investors has had an unjustified hope in the eurozone growth, and now and over the years it's just been declining because more and more investors are starting to realize that they're hopes were unjustified and now that the 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 European Union is uh, not looking good I mean honestly when the UK exited the European Union when when they ruled that that's what they were going to do and they started looking towards to do that and and now that they're in that process that's not positive for the euro because once one country is allowed to leave the Union all country other countries are going to start doing the same thing too I mean Italy and France and even Greece, for that matter, they have a massive, and I mean literally massive amount of debt that their governments have been taking in because of all of the the the, the welfare, all the free money they like to hand out, all their welfare programs and things of that nature. You know, so they have to be in. They're inflationists. They believe that eventually they have to inflate the currency, which is printing an increase in the monetary supply. 
Okay, money supply growth. They have to increase the money supply in order to get rid of all their debt, in order to get rid of all their liabilities. But they can't do that because the euro controls the currency, and they have no control of the currency. They gave up their sovereign right to control the currency when they when they joined the euro. Now, not every country did. To the UK's credit, the UK maintained their currency because if you want to really control a country, control the money supply, control the money. If you have control of the money, just like that, those who have, those who have the gold make the rules. You've heard that rule. Well, those who have the money make the rules. If you control the money, you, it doesn't matter what the laws of the country are. You can change them. You can do anything. If you control the money, you have absolute power. Okay. So this is a very, very, very a very key thing for you guys to understand. The in order to understand the gravity of the situation. So. France is going to eventually have to start printing money. And the only way they're going to do that is if they leave the European Union. Italy is going to have to do the same thing, and so is Greece and a whole host of other European nations. They are eventually going to get to a point where if they do not start printing money and basically inflating their currency away, things are going to be dire. Very, very dire. Either that or the European or the European Union is going to have to give them an unlimited number of euros which will destroy the euro and the union itself. Okay? So, this is the inevitable outcome of all inflationist countries, America, Japan, France, Italy, anyone in the eurozone, India, you know, Argentina, Venezuela, Brazil, they're all inflationists. They love the idea of giving people free stuff. Well, you know what? You don't have enough money to give people free stuff. You can't give people free stuff because you don't have the money for it. And you can't tax people, uh, you know, unlimited. You, you, you'll, you'll destroy the nation, which many of them have. But they've destroyed the nation in other ways, too. This is the problem with central planning. Central planning sounds good on paper to a lot of people. But in the end, it's, it's, it's stupid because there's no way that any one person or group of people, I don't care how group, how smart or how large the group is, the, the economy, every economy is so heavily complex. No human being, no computer system. I don't care if it's artificial intelligence or not. A lot of people say, well, well, now that we have computer systems, Matthew, we're, we're going to be able to do this. You know, we, we can now calculate all the information in order to calculate prices and what prices should be and, and things of that nature. So, you know, hey, you know, now that artificial intelligence can do it. Yeah, artificial intelligence is coded by people and people are stupid. And you're a moron for believing that. Okay? No. Our, any kind of software is coded by a person. Even if the software starts to learn on its own now, it still had to be coded by people. It is subjectively viewing things in the way of the coder. Whoever coded it, whether it's one person or a group of people, which it is in most cases a group of people, you know, the, that system has to be told what to do. Every tiny little thing. Artificial intelligence is not really intelligent. It's actually quite stupid. Okay? You have to tell it to do every single little thing. All right? It's not smart. And then on top of that, even if you can say that it is, even if you think that it is and you disagree with my opinion on that, that's fine. You don't have to agree with me, but here's the, the facts. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, that it's still coded by an imperfect human being. A human being that is sinful, is fa has a fallen nature. And therefore, whatever that human being creates will never be perfect, will never be the, 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 the perfection that the human wants it to be. So, that includes software. I know that is somewhat of a religious opinion of mine. I am a Christian after all. So naturally, that would be an opinion that I would have. But I'm not wrong. Okay? Perfection is not long for this world. There is no such thing as perfect. If you deem something as perfect, you're subjectively deeming it. And there are others who would say it's imperfect. If, if you tell the system to view a certain piece of data in one way, that is your subjective opinion. All right? So that being said, no, systems are not accurate, okay? Uh, software systems, people are not accurate. As a result of that, there is no way for a system or a person to adequately have enough information to manage an economy, to determine what prices should be, to determine what should and should not be produced. There's no way. 
There is absolutely zero way for that to happen. I don't care how big the group of individuals are. I don't care how smart they are. They could be the smartest people in the world. Every single super, super high intelligence, smart person in the world wouldn't matter. I don't care if it's a, if, if it's a, a computer program system. It wouldn't matter. There is, it's too complex. It's too complex for any human, any amount of humans and any amount of software created by humans, any amount of machine created by humans, any, th- any th- human created object. It's too complex for any of that. This is why central planning doesn't work. Okay? Because the, the, they don't understand how complex the economy can, is, really is. If they really wanted to be highly intelligent, they would acknowledge this and they would they would not be so arrogant and they would believe they would say, "Okay, I don't know all the complexities of an economy, so I'm just going to let the economy operate. I'm going to impose a little bit of some a little taxation here, even though it's theft, a little taxation here, a little bit of regulation here, and that's it. I'm going to let them worry about themselves." The, be- the best ruler is a lazy ruler in that sense. The only thing that I will do is I will protect property rights and I will ensure peace and process. I will ensure peace. I will ensure that riots aren't happening. I will ensure that no one invades this nation. You know, that's what I'm going to do. And that's it. That would be a highly intelligent ruler, which is something that monarchies are much better at than democracies or republics, mind you. But anyways, let's get back to this because we're getting off on the rails again. Unfortunately, I do struggle with that. And uh, let's go back to here. So, okay, let's go ahead and get back into it. So, you know, before we st- I got off on a tangent, you was talking about the negative rates and massive money supply growth in the European in the Eurozone, right? And the, the, the European Central Bank. Now he's going to start to pivot to China because this is the other currency that people think could challenge the reserve currency status of America. And it, yeah, they're, they're nowhere near. But the yuan cannot become a world reserve currency if the country maintains capital controls and concerns about legal and investor security remain. The China Central Bank, the PBOC, is also extremely aggressive for a currency that is only used in 4% of global transactions according to the Bank of International Settlements. We are living in a period of unprecedented financial repression and monetary expansion. The U.S. dollar reserve status grows in these periods where countries ignore real demand for their domestic currency and decide to copy the Federal Reserve policies without understanding the global demand for their currency. When the tide turns, most central banks find themselves with poor reserves and lower demand for domestic currency risk, and the position of the U.S. dollar as reserve currency strengthens. This is not a year of U.S. dollar weakness or the end of its supremacy as reserve currency. What we are witnessing is a generalized fiat currency debasement through extreme monetary policy. That is the reason why gold and silver continue to rise despite hopes of an economic recovery that seem to be stalling. The U.S. dollar will likely remain the most demanded fiat currency, but the excessive monetary stimulus will ultimately damage the confidence in most fiat currencies. So that's going to be it for the this article that I'm that I was reading again from Daniel Lacal, you know, and Daniel Daniel Lacal dlacal.com. Again, I will put the link in the description below. Absolutely amazing place to get really really good insights on what's actually happening in the in the economy and, and whatnot. And you know, basically, ladies and gentlemen, you know he he you know what Daniel shrewdly points out in this article is another thing that I never really realized that in times of economic calamity. In fact, the reserve currency of the U.S. dollar strengthens because the only reason that the U.S. dollar is still the reserve currency is the fact that Daniel Lacal says is there really isn't an alternative currency to take its place. So that said, though, during economic crises, everybody else, all the other countries that would typically, you would think that might be challenging the US dollar, they engage in even more aggressive monetary policy than that of our own country, the Federal Reserve and the Central Bank, the Federal Reserve. So what ends up happening, the US dollar actually comes out ahead because because there's no alternatives, no one's going to jump ship unless they know there's an alternative to jump ship to, right? And in times like these, those countries make their prospects of having the challenging the the reserve currency status even worse because they engage in even worse economic, you know, monetary policy. 
So you could almost think that because every other, because lots of countries basically parrot what the United States Central Bank does, the Federal Reserve does, because so many other countries kind of parrot what they do, they just do even worse. It's almost as if it's done intentionally. It's almost as if they do this on purpose. You know, the Federal Reserve does this because they know it's going to strengthen their reserve currency status. And as a result, other countries are going to do it, which will reduce the odds of anyone going to another currency. It's almost as if it's done on purpose. But this actually, like Daniel said, this actually increases the reserve currency status of the, of the United States, of the USD. This actually increases its, its hold on the, on the global economy. So, no, the U.S. dollar collapse is not going to happen. Like Daniel says in this article, it's greatly exaggerated. It doesn't need to happen. It doesn't need to be something that you worry about. But even if it did, would the end of the dollar, would that be a terrible thing? The end of the dollar as the reserve currency. And in my personal opinion, I, I, I don't believe that it is. I've actually argued this on Twitter. If you guys haven't checked out my Twitter uh, pro profile, go check it out. It's, my Twitter handle is at Matthew Spazzitti. Pretty simple, no underscore, no nothing else, just at Matthew Spazzitti, you'll find me. You know, uh, yeah, help me grow. I'm trying to grow that to be a pretty big following. I try to talk about economics, a whole host of other great things there. If you like my podcast, you're going to like my Twitter. So go check out the Twitter, go follow, go like my posts, go retweet them if you like them. You know, go do all that stuff if you, if you like that stuff. You know, I, again, trying to build up that account. I really like Twitter and I'm pretty, I'm fairly active on there. I try to post every day. I try to do several posts every day and whatnot. You know, sometimes I win on that, sometimes I don't. Uh, I actually have to block Twitter because, you know, Twitter is very addicting, right? I waste, I burn a lot of time on Twitter if I'm not careful. So I actually have to block it. I actually block almost all social media platforms because there's such a major time suck. It, it distracts me so heavily that I can't get any work done. So I, if I don't block YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all those types of, of social media platforms, then I will burn hours and hours and hours of time and get nothing done. And my time is so precious because I have to take care of my 10-month-old daughter. And when I'm not taking care of her, I'm spending time with my family. So I don't have time to go burning through, my, you know, burning through social media and whatnot. You know, I don't have time to burn that way. So I actually have to block it, which means I am not as active on those social media platforms as I, I know I should be for growing my brand and stuff. But that said, though, you know, I am active on Twitter. I am at, I definitely hop on at least multiple times a week, and I try to hop on every day. Um, but if you guys are liking this podcast, you're going to like that stuff there. That said, though, I was actually in a conversation with someone. Um, I was part of this this thread where we were talking about the, the, the end of the, of the U.S. dollar and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of people thought that the people that I was talking to specifically believed that if the U.S. reserve currency was to die, then all other fiat currencies would die and people would go to Bitcoin. And I'm like, what? Why Why would you think that? I mean, I'm not saying that couldn't happen. I'm just saying if the U.S. dollar dies, why would all the other fiat currencies die as well? Well, they believe that a lot of fiat currencies are backed and pegged to the U.S. dollar. And therefore, if the U.S. dollar turn, you know, go, turns down and ends up not becoming the reserve currency of the world, then they believed that all fiat currencies would die. And I'm like, not necessarily, no. In my opinion, if the if the U.S. dollar was to not become the reserve currency status, it doesn't mean that the U.S. dollar would die. In fact, many fiat currencies that ex exist today, and I'm no fan of fiat currencies, okay? I am very much in favor of a gold, like a, a, a metallurgic or whatever you would call it, a, a gold monetary system or special uh, a precious metal where it, we actually would trade in physical coins of some kind or another. And while I know that that is not a perfect system, Okay, as no system is, it was a better system than the system that we have today where they can print as much money as they want. But I actually preferred gold and silver coins, probably a buy, I think it's called a buy metallurgic uh, monetary system where you use gold and silver coins and whatnot as your currency. Think of like the gold coin is like a dollar and then the silver coins are like your cents, your, your pennies, your nickels, your dimes, your quarters, stuff like that. That said though, that's what I think would be a better system. It's harder to mess with. It's harder to inflate. You can't expand it as much. You'd have to you'd have to have access to more gold. And yes, when they find more gold, it would probably devalue it overall because now more gold has been discovered and things of that nature. But 
for the most part, it's harder to mess with, okay, than the fiat currency system. But that said, though, if the U.S. dollar was to reserve its lose its reserve currency status, many fiat currencies in the world, all the other ones are not, they don't have reserve currency status and they haven't died. So why would the U.S. dollar die? The U.S. dollar would die only if people were to lose confidence in the dollar itself. If the government continues to print over and over and over again, and it doesn't ever appear that there's ever an end in sight, then that could kill the U.S. dollar. And if the dollar was to die and hyperinflate, because now people know that there really is no end to the inflation that they're going to cause the, the you know it end to the money supply growth that they would give up on the currency and they would only you know ultimately the the sentiment behind a currency is only backed by the belief and the hope that people have that that country is good is is good for its debt and is a prosperous and wealthy nation and when that starts to die down if when the country becomes too controlling when the country becomes overly uh, manipulative in the currency and the, and the country becomes more central planned and authoritarian in nature people start to lose sight of that hope that they had and, and that sentiment that they had that the country was good for its debt and the country was good for its currency okay when people start to lose faith and if that was to happen you know, that would kill the U.S. dollar. But even then, even if the U.S. dollar was to die uh, completely, not just lose reserve, reserve currency status, but was to die, what would happen is that people would hop on another currency. Maybe they would go to gold. Maybe they would go to silver. Although those are not currencies. Maybe they would go to Bitcoin. I don't know. But they would probably hop on another currency, right? That's more than likely what they would do. They would hop on to another fiat currency that is deemed more stable than, than that, and that would be the end of it. Same thing with the, the reserve currency status. If, if the U.S. was to lose its reserve currency status, then what in effect would happen is that the reserve currency status would jump to another currency. The U.S. dollar would probably take a hit, a beating, but it would probably not die. And, you know, they that that's probably it. The only reason that that hasn't happened is because there isn't another currency out there that is stable enough and is honestly strong enough with the fundamentals or even sentiment wise there is none that is strong enough to really dethrone the u.s dollar as long as there is no challenger and again this is subjectively based based off in sentiment right as long as investors traders and normal citizens deem that there is no challenger globally not not just to the US but as long as they are deemed as there that there is no challenger to the US dollar there is no other currency that is better the US dollar will continue to be the reserve currency of the world that's just the way to work there has to be a contender someone has to come in and take over Someone that has a where there's a massive amount of sentiment attached to it, where people believe that that's a stronger currency and they believe that for a long period of time and that currency proves itself type of thing. I don't think this is going to be a fast process when this happens, but you know, I think that would be the, the way that it would happen. But no, the US dollar would, I don't believe the US dollar would die unless. It loses its reserve currency status because it's dying, because of inflation. You know, they keep printing money. They keep, they keep expanding the supply of money because they can't pay for their debts and, and so on and so forth. Then I could see perhaps – then, of course, the U.S. would die because it was already dying. But it wouldn't die because it lost the reserve currency status. Again, there are many currencies out there that – exchange at a much higher rate doesn't mean they're stronger currencies but they exchange at much higher rates in the u.s dollar that are not reserve currencies of the world and yet they haven't died so anyways and, and there are currencies that exchange for lower rates than the u.s dollar you know and they, yet they haven't died again the reason why they exchange at higher rates is because investors and traders think highly of them they think that these are better current these are strong currencies right that's that's the whole reason as to why they exchange at higher rates is because people like those currencies more that's the whole reason i mean if you look at other currencies like the kuwaiti dinar the bahraini dinar and the omani rial i mean these currencies all exchange for very very they exchange very high over the u.s dollar 
the Omani Real exchange exchanges for one Omani Real it gets you two dollars and fifty nine cents in U.S. in the U.S. currency in the U.S. dollars. The Bahraini dinar exchanges for two sixty four, two dollars and sixty four cents. The Kuwaiti dinar, by far one of the highest exchange currencies I have ever seen, three dollars and twenty six cents. One Kuwaiti dinar will get you three dollars and twenty six cents. And look, these currencies are, they exchange for very, very high exchange rates, and yet they are not reserve currencies holders. They don't hold the reserve currency status of the world. So again, whether it has a high exchange, a low exchange, whatever the reasoning is, look, it doesn't matter. Just because the United States would lose its, its reserve status does not necessarily mean that it's going to die. And a lot of people that are out there that are basically saying the dollar collapse is, is nigh, it's here, the U.S. is done, the U.S. is dead. Most of those people have a direct incentive to basically make you believe that way so that you buy gold. And most of them have some form of invested interest. They Maybe they make money by selling you gold. Maybe they make money by selling you you know gold mining stocks and things of that nature right i'm not going to name names but there are people out there who they're all their economic their views on economics are pretty solid and yet they constantly recommend very poor investment advice and the reason i say it's poor is because of this look gold and silver are great hedges against inflation they maintain their value fairly well however gold and silver are not hedges against recessions, depressions. They're not hedges against an economic calamity, an economic crash. In point of fact, when those crashes occur, gold and silver usually burn like everything else does. Okay? So the case is not, ladies and gentlemen, that if you hold gold and silver, that you're going, that it's going to go up as everything else is going down. Okay? That's not the case. I mean, in fact, when the stock market is up, usually gold is up. In fact, since 2012, gold was down while the stock market was up. Okay? So it's just, it's, you know, gold and silver are fear assets. That's what they are. And people, it's, it's, it's a decent, it may not be a bad idea to, to hold some money in them. This is not investment advice, okay? I'm not giving investment advice. I'm not a licensed uh, financial advisor or anything of the sort. So con- consult any kind of, you know, consult a professional, someone who is licensed, but this is just my opinion, uh, based off of what I think I would do. I hold a little bit of gold, a little bit of silver. I don't have any gold yet, although I do plan to get some. And I would like to hold some some Bitcoin as well in the future and stuff. But these are so expensive, and, and quite frankly, I just don't have the funds to 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 throw at them right now. But the point is, is that you know I would I don't think it would be a bad idea for me to hold some. I would never hold a lot. I mean, I would never hold like all of my money in them, but I do, I don't think it would be a bad idea only because it's a hedge against inflation. They, they, they hold and maintain their value against inflation, but against a market crash, everything is going to burn. People are going to sell and go to cash. Cash rises in a market crash. Cash becomes more valuable in a market crash. The U S dollar, generally speaking, goes up. Real estate fall in 2008. Real estate fell. Stocks fell. Gold and silver and and I think platinum and palladium they all fell too. Cryptocurrencies, given the same circumstances, would fall just as well. Okay, the fact remains is that in a crash everything burns. So, anyways, guys, that's gonna be the it for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you guys got a lot of value out of it, you know, make sure to go follow me on Twitter. Make sure to leave me a rating and review on iTunes. You know, make sure to just, if you like this content, you found value in it, then please share the show. If, if you liked it, odds are someone else is going to like it, right? So share it with at least three people. That's what I usually ask. Share it with at least three people. Someone you know is going to love it. Someone you think is going to like it. You're not really sure. And then someone you pretty sure is not going to like it, but hey, Share, share it with as many people as you possibly can. Share it with, you know, three. Th- that, that's my three-person sharing challenge, right? Someone who likes it, someone who you're not sure about, and someone you know is going to hate it. <laughs> you know, share it with, the, with, with three people. And, hey, if you're out there on social media, then, hey, hit that share button and hit the like button, the follow button, and hit that share button and, and just help me get this message out there. I mean, look, we're not in 
a great, even though the dollar is not going to collapse indefinitely and is not going to die, we're not in a good straight. In the end, ladies and gentlemen, the economic, you know, as we get closer and closer to the election cycle, the coronavirus is going to die off. The coronavirus is going to go away. People are going to start focusing on the elections. And one of the biggest, biggest, biggest talking points is going to be the economy. The economy is in dire straits right now. The economy is not doing well. We're not having a V-shaped recovery. Okay. The economy very well could go through another crash very soon. The only reason we haven't seen it is because a lot of government intervention, the PPP loans, you know, the extra $600 a month in federal unemployment checks a week that people were getting. I know that a lot of that, some of that has ended. Like, I think they're probably going to do another three to 400 extra dollars a month in, in unemployment checks, federal unemployment checks. I don't, I think that's something that, that will eventually happen. You know, more loans to businesses will probably occur, but even despite all of its efforts, there have been untold amounts of businesses that have closed and are not opening back up. I mean, Yelp reported a little while ago that basically 40% of all the stores that closed on Yelp, okay, are not opening, are not coming back. 40%. And I don't, I don't even know what for, that number was, but that I, I, 40% is not a good number either way, regardless of the size. So ladies and gentlemen, this is, we are not in a good economy. And it's about to get worse, okay? The only way to avoid it is to control the source of your income. Start trying. Look, if, you're, if you haven't tried yet, now is the time. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on my journey to taking control of the source of my income. I'm not making six figures yet. I'm, I am in the process of doing it. I, you know, if I can do it, you can. I know I'm a smart guy. Yeah, I'm smart. I'm intelligent. Of course I am. Naturally. I don't mean to sound I don't mean to sound narcissistic, but you know, a long time ago I used to think I was dumb. I used to tell myself I was dumb. So forgive me if I'm actually um, you know, playing, you know, telling you that I I, I now finally feel that I'm actually intelligent. You know, because uh, I used to not think that way at all. I used to tell my I, I was I did horribly in college. I, I didn't do very well. Uh, despite the fact that I, I graduated with s- uh, honors, it was cum laude. I think that was honors. Uh, it was not summa cum laude. It was the, the one under that, so cum laude. Despite the fact that I graduated the bachelor's in business administration with, with honors and whatnot, I mean, that, that was largely because of my wife. She helped me study. She helped me do a lot of different things. She helped me really uh, help, but I had so much help. It didn't really make me feel smart. And I struggled in, in college and in school all my life. And every single time I did bad, which was a lot, I was, I told myself I was stupid. The education, this is one of the reasons I hate the education system is because it, it makes people who struggle, it's only built for one type of person, someone who thrives in that environment. And a big portion of the people that are in the system do not thrive in that environment. It's not a one fit, it's not a one size fits all situation. Made me feel like an idiot come later on and I'm out of college and I feel like I'm super smart. I understand economics. I understand, you know, Forex trading. I'm learning about it. I mean, come on. I feel like I'm actually highly intelligent for once in my life. I didn't always used to feel that way. So uh, I'm not trying to be arrogant or narcissistic when I say that. Um, but I, I am smart. I am highly intelligent, but so are you. You are highly intelligent. You are smart too. If you come and listen to this show, I know you are. That's evidence enough that I believe that you are smart and highly intelligent. You're not a moron. You're not an idiot. I believe in you. Okay? I believe in you. You just got to take the action necessary to take control of the source of your income. If no one else will believe in you, I will. Look, this is the tribe that we're building here. We are building a tribe of people who want to come together, who want to become you know, financially free by controlling the source of their income. We see if you are already listening to this podcast, you were predisposed to the message. If you liked it, you were already predisposed to it. You already had the feeling that there was something wrong in the economy, that something just wasn't right. You already maybe were more conservative or you just, you weren't trusting in the system. Good for you. A lot of people aren't in that boat. You're, you're unique in that sense. 
to question the system that you that, that has probably indoctrinated you all your life. That's a very, very uh, a good trait. But look, we need to grow this message. We need to get more people that think like this. We need to get more people here. Because financial freedom is the only way out of this. Not politics. I'm not even bothering voting this year. I'm not going to vote ever again. I don't believe in the democratic system. I don't believe in the political system anymore. I don't believe in any of that. I believe in me and my myself. I believe in, in my future is directly tied to me and no one else. I control the master. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's what I believe. Okay? So guys, look. Please share the show. Get as many people here as you can. You know, follow me. Leave a rating and review on uh, on iTunes, and, and just help me get this message out there. Financial freedom. Help me get this out out there, of you know what we're really facing in our economy today, in our country, and the global economy as well. Whether you're in the United States or not, I don't care. Help me get this information out there. Help me s- spread this message of financial empowerment, financial freedom to as many people as will listen. You know, if you guys will do that for me, I greatly appreciate it. And also, hey, last but not least, when it comes to following me, I have a locals account. I have a locals community account. I think there's like six people in there right now. I'm trying to grow it as much as I possibly can. I'll throw the link in the description below. It should be like towards the top of the description. So you guys should see it right away. If you guys want to join me, if you guys want to follow me, I try to post stuff there. I know that if you go back there, you'll see a lot of my past episodes that I've done. I haven't fully updated it with all the episodes. And hey, leave you know, leave if, you know, follow me and, and, and leave me a comment. Say you know, tell me who you are. Tell me your name, where you're from, what your interests are. You know, and let's start a conversation of people and let's start conversing on how you want to become financially free. You can ask me questions. I'll try to answer. I'm very, very busy, so I, I don't promise that I will, but I will try to. It's it's one of the, but it's one of the best ways that you guys can have direct access to me, and we can create this community of people. So if you're interested in all this, you love all this, go check out my locals community, and uh, I would, you know, I'd love to have you there. I know all of us would that are already currently there. So yeah, go check that out. And yeah, that said though, let's go ahead and and hop into the affiliate marketing part of this. Anyways, guys, if you are interested in learning on how to trade Forex, all right, we we briefly talked about it in this episode today. I gave you guys some education on it. If you are interested in that at all, go check out Tier 1 Trading. Tier 1 Trading is the number one coaching platform in my most humble opinion. And in reality, guys, they're absolutely amazing. They won't turn you down the wrong path. They will teach you the art and the skill of trading. They're actually going to teach you a strategy, which is unfortunately something that most people who try to educate anybody on Forex trading, that's what they do. They try to teach you a strategy, but they are going to teach you more than just the strategy. They're going to teach you how to create your own strategies, strategies that you can create that that fit your personality, that fit who you are, and are ultimately going to play to your strengths better than any arbitrary strategy that somebody else teaches you. And that's the best thing. You will learn how to create your own strategies like I have. And then you will go through the process and the long journey of actually doing that. But if you're interested in that, go check it out. You got Akil Stokes, Jason Greystone, Charles Miles is the one of the best mentors you could ever have. I mean, Charles is an amazing mentor. I love him. You know, he's a great guy. He's absolutely amazing. I talk to him to this day and we're always throwing ideas back and forth and stuff. He's it's great guys. So hey, go check out tier one trading. You won't be disappointed. And if you if you want to learn how to do Forex trading, it's a great place. Also, if you want to do this Forex trading thing, then you're gonna need a charting platform, right? So, dun, 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 you guys have TradingView. I have n- never done that before. I probably won't do that again. But guys, anyways, look, TradingView is an amazing charting platform. I use it literally every single week. I use it all the time. I've got over 130 followers there. It's a great place. You know, if you guys want to go check it out, go follow me there. It's absolutely amazing. If you got, this is, when I was talking to you guys about the Kuwaiti dinar, the Omani Rial, the Bahraini dinar, I went to TradingView to find the answers. When I was trying to talk to you guys about the euro dollar and the exchange rate between, I went to TradingView. That's where I get all my exchange rate, you know, the price of gold, price of silver. That's where I get all that information from. Okay? You can get information on tons of charts. You could get information on stocks. You know, you could get information on, you know, bonds as what bond prices, bond interest rates. You can keep track of the bond market. You can keep track of silver. I mean, it's a really, really great place. And if you're interested in trading, you need a want, you need a charting platform that's going to be easy to use and intuitive. TradingView is that place. I use it all the time. They're absolutely 
incredibly amazing, and it's easy to use. In my most humble opinion, I love it. So go check them out. And, you know, guys, last but not least, if you guys are interested in taking control of the source of your income, but you don't know what it is that you want to do, and you don't have a lot of money, you know, I was in that boat at one point, and I know you guys are are in that boat. Many of you are. You need a skill, right? That's the best thing. If, if you are truly struggling with money and you know and you don't have a t- a lot of money but you still want to learn how a new skill that you can maybe go online and, and sell a course to, for you know you learn the skill you sell the course and stuff if you want to do information marketing if you are in need of a new skill and i always highly you know encourage anyone to invest in their own human capital then go to skillshare.com skillshare.com is an amazing place. They have really high quality courses there on trading, investing. They got stuff on options trading. They got stuff on stock trading. By the way, if you're struggling with finances, you should not be trading whatsoever. Okay. Uh, Do not start trading. If you're struggling with finances, it is not a get rich quick thing. And it's not a matter of if you will lose. It's a matter of when you will lose. You will lose all the time. And if you are not prepared for it, you will blow every single penny you put in the markets. Okay. I've known people who have done this all right, I, I genuinely do. Please do not be another negative statistic on traders, and, and not just for tra- for the purposes of, of giving traders a bad name. That's not why I'm asking that. I don't want to see you losing money. You worked really hard for that money. Blood, sweat, and tears, right? You probably had arguments with your spouse about or, or your significant other for effectively working too hard because you had to earn the monies. We've all been there, right? Don't Don't throw it away. And that's essentially what you're going to do. If you're struggling with money, if you're struggling to manage your money, learn how to manage your finances first and then go out there and learn how to trade. But seriously, freaking A, don't go spending your money or don't go, you know, blowing it on trading. Trading is kind of like, can, can easily be treated as gambling. It's not gambling if you're doing it the right way, but it can be treated as such. Don't treat ga- trading like gambling. Don't treat trading like the biggest casino in the world. That's not what it is. It can be an amazing wealth generator. I believe that it can be. I've made money doing it. Okay? But if you're struggling, do not spend your money on it. But that said, though, guys, Skillshare has a lot of other courses far more than just trading. They have courses on investing. They've got co- courses on email copywriting, website design podcasting, videography, filmography, photography. They've got all kinds of courses that are out there, guys. If you're interested in learning in a skill, they got courses on coding. I mean, heck, if you want to be a coder, it's a great place to learn. And it's dirt cheap. It's only like $100 for the entire year. And sometimes they'll even give you a month to two months for free. So if you guys are interested in learning a new skill, you want to become financially free, you want to learn a skill and you, do, you just don't have a skill, but you want to learn one so that you could go teach it to other people, then go to Skillshare. It's one of the best places for you to go. It's not that expensive. Anybody can get access to it. It's really great. I have it. I love it. I use it all the time. So if you're in, if you need a skill, if you want to take control of the source of your income and you need a skill to do that, then go check out Skillshare. It's a great place to go. All right, guys. Hey, that's going to be it for the episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, like I said, make sure to leave me a rating review on iTunes. If you're interested in following me, scroll all the way down to the description and check out the, the follow me section. I got all kinds of different places that I'm at. I'm located at, you know, hit me up at all those locations, hit the follow, hit the like buttons and all that. And uh, yeah. If you guys will do that for me, I'll see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.